Amen. Good morning, church. Our reading for this morning will be from the book of Acts, chapter 1, from verse 6 through to 11. And the Bible says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has feast by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be with you all here this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's just good to be here together. This is kind of a different Sunday. We have, um, if, if you're new, uh, I'll explain some about that here in a bit. But um, just a heads up, again, if you're new or, or if you forgot somehow because I didn't preach last week, um, I have a speech impediment. And so I uh, just want to give you all a, a heads up there on what that is as it, it'll kind of come in and out as, uh, as we go. And so we're going to get into our time here together pretty, pretty quickly. And so um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. That's right, we're just going to start over, back to chapter 1. Um, no, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me there. And if you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one and um, make it your own. And um, y en español, si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no, uh, no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 1 a 28. So, some of you know Spanish. There, hey, there's more of us than, uh, than we might know. But So that was good. Um, yeah, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 28. So, again, this is a bit of a different, uh, yeah, so, so strap in, get ready. Okay, we're, um, no, what we're going to do this morning, again, this is unusual. It's actually my first time ever doing something like this, so we'll see. Um, but we're going we're gonna to do kind of a flyby kind of tour through the book of Acts to remember what we've seen and learned and, and gone through this entire year. So we, as a church, love going through books of the Bible, as was said, when people stood every week, we do that. We stand as we read God's word, and uh, we believe, as the scriptures teach, that his word is profitable for teaching and for rebuke and for correction, and, and so we submit ourselves to God's instruction through his word, and so we spend time in whole books of the Bible, and uh, for the mo most part, that's kind of how we do it, and so we've been in Acts for about 10 months, and so what we're going to do now uh, this morning, I'm, I'm excited for, is we're going to just remember, kind of take some time to remember. God continually commissions his people to remember, and that's not really normal for us. You know, a, a lot of time, our 
tendency is to just kind of look on to what's next, right? Like some of you guys know on perhaps even right now, you're looking at Facebook. If so, we're watching. No. But you just kind of scroll through, right? Okay, that's what's the one. And you don't even finish someone's Facebook status. You scroll on to what's next, right? And our, our tendency is getting progressively kind of hurried. And, and yet God doesn't do anything willy-nilly. He doesn't just kind of, kind of flippantly do anything. He's, a, he's an intentional God, and he calls us to be an intentional people. And so consistently, he tells his people, pause, remember, even build like an Ebenezer, uh, build something to remember what I've done in this moment and, and, and look back and remember. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that was a weird way of saying that, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, it, um, it's kind of like Scooby Doo there. I don't usually do that, but I just hearing myself. Um, you, uh, I don't have time for this. We got a lot to cover this morning, so don't encourage me with laughter. So. In Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, God tells his people and and, and his people are formed by remembering. He says, you know, when you're laying down and you're standing up and you're coming and you're going, teach your children, teach one another, remember that the Lord is one and that we are his people. And so there's this constant charge to remember. So that's what we're doing this morning. And let me just kind of, so we have like an 18 point sermon, something like that. And and again, we're going to move fairly quickly. And um, let me just kind of give you some options here. Okay. Some of you, like this is your day. You are pen handy, ready. You love taking notes. You love like this summary. You're going to just go through and follow along and do all this. And and if that helps you engage, then do that. Right. For others of us, um, that might seem like overwhelming. Like, man, how do I keep up with all this? How do I capture the, the big idea? You know, how do I get all this? Let me just encourage you to be refreshed by hearing God's word. And we're gonna read bigger chunks this morning as we go through. And I'll just kind of give brief ex- uh, explanation, okay? We'll read, explain, and just kind of go through. And let me just encourage you to just kind of sit. We'll have all the scriptures up here on the screen. And just be encouraged and be reminded of the good news of Jesus that we've been shaped by as we spent time in the book of Acts. Amen? All right, so let's, let's uh, pray and, and uh, get into our time here together. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have this morning to come together to worship as a community, to sing songs of declaration and proclamation and worship to you. And as the church has, has, has historically understood, we're also singing to one another in a sense of simultaneously singing to you and worshiping you and reminding one another of these incredible truths about our, 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 our almighty God and, 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 and that life is shaped and, and informed by who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And so even now, as we get into our time in Acts, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, who we will hear about here in a few seconds, that, uh, we will be reminded, God, and shaped and overseen and led um, by his work among us, even now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 1. The Acts of God. Wow, that's good. You've been paying attention. Wrong, actually. No, in most of our Bibles, it says the Acts of the apostles, but the, the big theme or the big idea, and I jokingly say wrong, because the working title we've had throughout Acts has been, the, the theme of the whole book is that it is the works of Almighty God 
on display in and through his people by the person and work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent to carry out the very mission of God. And again, that's kind of a long title, but that's what we've seen and, and that we've seen that, that God is displaying his works in and through his people by the person and work of Jesus. That means the life, death, resurrection, ascension, rule, sending of the Holy Spirit and promises of Jesus through the Holy Spirit whom he sent. That that's been the theme we've seen throughout. And, and, and so again, we've kind of shorthanded that to the works of God and so as we walk through it, as we just read, picking up in verse, in verse 6, right, we're, we're reminded that, that, that God is, um, is calling his people to faithfully wait on him, right? As we read here in, in, uh, in, in verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In, in summary, the, the kingdom of God, is, which, will be, which is important for us to know as we walk through this, this whole time, is essentially God's rule in God's world. Okay, when, when Jesus came on the scene throughout the gospel, specifically in Mark, he declared, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? The rule of God in God's world. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he declares that to be true. And so they say, is this now when you're going to, when you're going to bring it to final full restoration? He says, wait, be faithful, right? If you remember very, way back in January, right, I said there was kind of a, a, a word that we prayed would shape us throughout this entire year. It was, you know, the F word of faithful, right? The, the, the good, the, 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 the biblical um, word that, has sh- that we've seen continually here of being faithful, of God calling a faithful people, which means we wait on him. And even as Jesus says, right, if you look again there with me, he says, um, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed. That's another theme, if you recall with me, that's so important. That this seemingly new thing, right, this seemingly new work is actually really, really old. And that's important for us to remember today just as it was for the early church. That, right, we tend to be infatuated with new things and shiny things and and what's new, what's new. And then some of us, though, are also maybe maybe weary or scared skeptical of anything that feels new. And so the theme that we've seen in Acts is God is on the move. God is currently presently working and carrying out his mission, but it might seem really, really new, but it's actually very, very old. It's been his plan from the very beginning of time. And so wait faithfully. And then as they gather together in uh, verses um, uh, 9 through 11, we see another theme that we'll carry throughout that we'll even end with, right? We heard this last week, and it says, God is true to his word. God fulfills his promises. And so as these people are waiting, trusting on God faithfully, they're reminded this um, that this Jesus, okay, verse 11, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's a promise. Jesus is currently, presently ruling authoritatively. And he's not just gone and now what? But no, he will return. 
And that promise is meant to inform and shape God's people as they continue to faithfully wait on him and trust in him. And then as we move on here in Acts chapter 2, right, this incredibly climactic point here in verses 1 through 4, this, this life history altering, shaping activity takes place. Pick up with me as we move through Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, okay, that word will come up here and there throughout. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that he said, wait, wait faithfully and I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will fill you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and again, they're waiting faithfully, and, and then we see, as is always true, God is true to his word. Okay, God, God makes promises, and God fulfills those promises, and that happens here. The Holy Spirit descends, and when God is at work, it always demands a response. Okay, not always in the same way. In this case, this miraculous um, event takes place and, and these people are speaking tongues in different languages and, and the surrounding people, thousands of people have to take notice. They're like, what's going on? Some are like, these guys are drunk. Some people are like, no, you know, they're all confused, but it demands a response. And then Peter preaches and he, and he, and he opens the, the scriptures, again, these very old scriptures back from Joel and he preaches and explains, no, God's promises are being fulfilled right here before your very eyes. And, and then he explains. So in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul. Okay, they're, they're, they're simply living together in community in response to the authority and the rule of Jesus and the sending of his, of his Holy Spirit. And again, it demands a response. And then down in verse 47, this is what they're doing. They're praising God. And, and through that, they're living out the gospel, proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. That's what the word, the gospel means. Okay, the good news of Jesus is on display. And it says, as they're praising God, they're having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Who added to their number? The Lord added to their number. Again, we spent some time hammering on this and talking about is we're a you know younger church, kind of church plant, and still we're kind of transitioning now out of that. We're like awkward teenagers, you know, we're we're no, no longer church plant, but you know, we're kind of growing up, maturing. But remember, we're called to faithfully wait on the Lord, to trust that the Holy Spirit whom he has sent will continue to empower and enable us to, to, to demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus, and that we are called to focus on growing as disciples. That word means followers of Jesus. And, and we're not, and we had a kind of a, a really good moment here together, right, where we talked about, guys, our call, our concern as a church, as, as um, elders and pastors is, are we being faithful and trust in that we're not, we're not 
like, we're not worried about where are we at numbers-wise, what's going on, are we, you know, all these things. It's we're, we're saying, God, you do, you do you, right? You do what you can do. We'll be faithful by your power. You'll help us and equip us to, to simply remain faithful and growing. And we even said, right, if that means God wants to bring our numbers in to, to really grow us more faithfully, then we're all right with that. We even ask for that, that, that we would never get too big for our brood riches, you know, so to speak, that we would, would continually come before him and, and be faithful. And, and so as we continue on there, we see that these people, right, is, this Acts chapter 2 church is full of joy, right? Someone asked me when I met, I don't know if they're here or not right now, but I've, I met and they said, they said, are, I, are, are, are Christians happy? You know, is there joy and, you know, we had a, a talk about this person's experience and all these different things. And um, sadly, I, I understood where they were coming from. But, but what we see here, one, um, there's this quote, I don't know if we'll have it up here, but um, that I shared a, a theologian, pastor, missionary, Leslie Newbegin said this, the mission of God begins in Acts through God's people with an explosion of joy. We saw, especially in those early chapters, joy, uncircumstantial joy, right? As we see more and more, it picks up persecution, difficulty, death, trial. Not always like, oh, just paint on a face and a smile and pretend it's all good, but a deeply rooted, foundational, unwavering joy. And that's what the early church begins with in the book of Acts that we've seen. And now um, going on to Acts chapter 4, we see that, that, they are, that, that they are calling out, Lord, keep us faithful as you are working. Just I'm going to read through Acts 4, verses 18 through 22. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So this, this guy had been healed. He was asking for, for alms, for money. And, you know, some of you guys who grew up in church know this song, you know, silver and gold have I none, and this whole deal. And this guy was, you know, walking and leaping and praising God, or however it goes. I didn't grow up in the church, so, so I heard that song um, from my wife who did. But right, this whole scene, but, but, but see here, what they're doing is they're just saying, listen, we have seen and experienced and responded to the good news of Jesus. Like you decide if we need to try to pretend that that hasn't happened or not, but we're, we're going to just remain faithful and share what we've seen ex and experienced. Okay, let me just tell you, if you have seen and responded to the good news of Jesus, and I pray everyone in this room has or will, then all you're expected to do and called to do is to share what you know and who you know. And just, right, you don't have to get it all right. We grow in wanting to learn how to more winsomely and creatively and effectively communicate our faith in Jesus. But as we see right here, they're like, look, you tell us if you think we should be quiet about what we've experienced, but we're just going to say what we've seen. 
And that's what they do, and, and it can, continues. And, and in that, right, their, their response is not, God, make it go away as they begin to face persecution, right? This is important for all of us in here. As they begin to face opposition, they're not like some of us might want to say, they're not like, God, nuke them. Just take care of them. Wipe them out, right? And they're not like, make it all go away. Just protect us from this pain and this difficulty. But instead, their prayer is, God, keep us faithful, And that's a continued theme, and we see him answering that prayer. And so they continue to call out, God, make us faithful. And then in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The good news of Jesus results in, and generosity, and transformed heart and perspective. And that's not normal for us, right? Our normal tendency is to be selfish and consumeristic and look out for number one and all these things. And yet you see the result of being transformed by the good news of Jesus is saying, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I am is yours for your glory and for others' good. And we see that on display in the early church. And then going on to Acts chapter 6, we see more of the results or the, um, or, the, or the impact or the effects of the good news of Jesus on display. And so in, in, in chapter 6, um, let me just kind of summarize what happened here is there is some racial and socioeconomic disunity, right? Those themes aren't new, okay, in our day today, though they're real and present. We see them right here in the early church. And what happened is these Greek-speaking Jewish people are feeling like they're being left out. And so there are widows in need, people who need the community of God's people helping and coming alongside and supporting, as we just heard was happening. But then we quickly see some people are not participating or not being brought in in the same kind of way. And so they share that. And God's people, the church, Right? These well-known people that we know of right away, you know, Peter, all these, not yet Paul, but you know, Peter, all these, you know, disciples are like, well, you know, they're, they're challenged, they're called out. And look what they do um, in verse 3. This is what they do. Filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the wisdom they have in facing these injustices and these issues and these difficulties. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The incredible reality of God's work in and through the person of Jesus and the sending of his Holy Spirit and forming a people, right, the early church, is that he empowers the people that are marginalized and oppressed to not just be recipients of the solution that other people would come up with, but to be, to be empowered and, and, and brought into and even humbled before and said, why don't you raise up from among you people that we can learn from, that we can empower, that we can come alongside, and that um, they will be a part of the solution and not just recipients of our generosity. And it's an incredible, beautiful picture of how God works among his people in reconciling the realities of sin, the effects of sin and division and brokenness. And and as we said here, and we just need to be reminded today, this stuff's messy, right? We do something called tapestry tables here. We just had it a couple weeks ago, and it's people coming alongside, coming around really difficult issues together. And, and And sometimes it gets messy. It gets difficult. Amen? Some of you who are involved there, you know that, right? Tears can be shed. Different opinions are shared. 
Yet we always end in prayer as a reminder of who we are together, the people of God coming along, brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet it's messy. It would be so much easier. And even there we see they easily could have said, hey, you guys do you, right? You guys go and meet over there. You do your thing. You take care of your, your, your kind and we'll do our thing. And that's like the gospel doesn't give that option, right? Amen? Okay, that's, it's challenging. And yet we see this good news on display, And then in Acts chapter 7, tragedy hits significantly. Stephen, one of the the people chosen there, and actually, ironically, if you remember, we let Stephen preach this sermon because, you know, just wanted to kind of remind him of uh, the potential dangers. But uh, Stephen, right, this faithful um, person who had been raised up to, to help lead in these ways now is in this incredible display of his faithfulness and he just boldly and confidently right in the face of trial and, and, and then eventual death, m- murder, he, he faithfully proclaims the good news of Jesus because again he says, I can't deny what I have seen and experienced. And yet tragedy descends upon the church and his people, his friends are, are afraid or scared or sad. And yet the movement, the work of God, the mission of God, remember the whole book of Acts is the mission of God is continuing to move forward through the Holy Spirit by the authority of Jesus, risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, the Father. And that's not just on Easter Sunday. That's when tragedy strikes and God's people continue to move forward not in spite of the pain, not ignoring the pain, but through the pain. And it's, and it's beautiful. And then in Acts chapter 8, we learn at the very beginning there that Saul, who we'll hear a ton more about, was right there. He's a part of this. Okay? He's, he's an oppressor. Okay? He's, he's, he's oppressing, he's overseeing this murder of one of the early church leader, Stephen, and and then we'll see what happens to him in a a moment. But we see another picture in Acts chapter 8. Be be encouraged by this. As I kind of navigated through what do I keep in, what do I take out, all this stuff, I I love this picture because you've got this guy, Philip, who was actually good friends with Stephen. Again, just just learned of or was a part of seeing his, his, his good friend murdered. And yet he's just continuing on, going along his way. And God, we we love to say here that life is naturally supernatural. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 8 is the supernatural realities of God's just normal everyday people going along. So pick up with me or look along in Acts chapter 8 here, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was in Ethiopia a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. And so Philip runs over. He says, hey, do you know what you're reading? An Ethiopian eunuch. Again, there's all kinds of stuff here. Different, different race, different ethnicity, different, different, uh, different country he's from, uh, different, soci- different social standing. Remember that a, an, a eunuch would be unclean and all these, all these different realities here. And yet, look, look here, Kate, because we often wonder, how does God work? 
Okay, you're going to work tomorrow morning. You're doing your thing. You're going about your day. You're wondering, God, how you use me at the end of this service will be sent out. The benediction, the sending out of God's people to live all of life, all for Jesus. And well, how does that look? It looks like this. God's, God, his, his spirit is working on Philip and is leading him. He doesn't know what's about to happen while simultaneously he is working in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch and he's preparing this work that there's about to be this incredible collision, again, a supernatural collision in seemingly everyday life. God is at work in and through Philip while he's at work in and through this Ethiopian eunuch who needs to have the good news of Jesus explained to him. And and, and again, God is working. And we see that on display in this seemingly, though it's, I know like Philip runs up next to the chariot and there's all this crazy stuff going on. And yet remember, Philip's not conjuring any of this up. He's not summoning, commanding the spirit to do all these things. He's not trying to work up a, you know, a, a big show. He's faithfully relying on the Holy Spirit to lead him. And he's obedient as he hears. And so he goes and and he does, he shares. And again, remember the Holy Spirit uses regular people to proclaim the supernatural good news of Jesus. So be encouraged in that. And then in Acts chapter 9, we see again what it looks like. And and the author here, Luke, demonstrates and proclaims what it looks like that God is on the move. That God is intentional, as C.S. Lewis famously calls him the hound of heaven. He's pursuing people. And so... Um, we see here this, this, this picture, and this, is, this was Easter Sunday, okay, if you want to kind of put back where, where did we encounter this good news here is, is, is Saul. So in verse 3, Saul, we, earlier we learned he's breathing threats, right? He, he hates Jesus, right? He does, he's anti-Christ. He doesn't want it. He's not a seeker. He's not, you know, just trying to, he's not a good guy, just trying to find, he is running the opposite way of Jesus, And here's what happens, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Suddenly, everything changes. Paul's identity and his purpose is completely changed. And what we'll learn here in a moment, in a a number of minutes here, when we get to the very end and we learn Paul's fate. Okay, this is good. By the way, let me just pause. Like, this isn't normal for us to just walk through an entire book of Scripture in one gathering, right? It's not easy for me to try to, you know, like talking fast isn't really my, my gift, if you know what I mean. And so, and yet, this is not, this is not that out of the ordinary for, for the history of the church, of God's people. Because when this book was written from Luke to Theophilus and meant to be shared with other people, with the church, it would be read often just kind of cover to cover because most people couldn't read. Most people didn't have access to this thing, right? They're, the printing press hadn't been invented, invented. so someone would just read from beginning to end. And so you would hear these things, you would hear about 
about Saul breathing threats against the church and then meeting Jesus and responding to the good news of Jesus. So when we talk here about putting your faith in Jesus, about responding in faith to him, and you wonder what does that look like, you get to see this miraculous, not necessarily quick, okay, it's over the course of years here, but we get to see at the end what it looks like, the result of following Jesus. And Saul is transformed radically. He puts his faith in Jesus. And then we'll, we'll learn more about Saul and what goes on, but let's continue to see God's work on display through his church. In Acts chapter 10, verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised, so that in shorthand, if you're new to this, I know it sounds sort of weird, like, well, why is this guy talking about circumcision right now? All right, that was kind of in the Bible. That's the religious people. I'll just kind of leave it there. Okay. This is the religious Jewish people who thought you had to be circumcised to have any kind of relationship with God. And so the, the, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Okay. In our day, this is the really religious people are shocked that God's promises would actually come to fruition. <laughs> that when God said, that his people would be his witnesses throughout the entire earth to the ends of the earth, that it would include these Gentiles. And they see that on display. They see non-religious people. They see non-Jewish people putting their faith in Jesus and the, and the impact of that on display, the result of that. And they're amazed. Again, God's work always demands a response. And these people are amazed, even though they've heard they're now seeing and experience the impact, the result of God at work. And so they're amazed that even these Gentiles are now um, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we'll skip ahead a ways here to a similar theme, but in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, if you, uh, if you recall, um, if you've ever heard of that, this is again, this issue keeps coming up, okay? This quick teaching moment, by the way, if, you know, like some of us today that say silly things like, I can't believe we're still dealing with this, like where sinful people are involved and not submitting to Jesus, we're somehow surprised that sin is at work and continuing to prevail. And so, and so that same thing would be happening here. This continued theme, these people are amazed that these Gentiles are filled with, with the Holy Spirit and that God's work is on display in and through them. And then again here, people are like, yeah, but don't they have to be Jewish? Like, I know we just learned that's not the case, but like, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Amen. Some of us old dogs in here know that. And, and so it, it's hard and you, and you see that on display. And so that's what's going on here. And the church is struggling with this. And then um, it says, picking up here in, in Acts chapter 15, um, that, that Peter calls them out on this. Verse eight, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke or like a weight on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Okay, this is huge. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. 
the gospel of grace, right? The, 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 the 500 year anniversary of the Re- Reformation is coming up, right? We just heard some about that. We're singing these songs that, 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 that many were written during that time. And this is, again, like this is an opportunity that when, when racism and judgment and, and hierarchical uh, you know, views of, well, I'm more spiritual because I do more things. And this is this like in-your-face reminder of what has historically been called the, the, the solas in Latin. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Grace is undeserved favor. Faith is a transfer of trust and a submission to God in and through only the person and work of Jesus. And that's this reminder, this foundational truth. No, you don't add to the gospel, right? We've heard this phrase said before that Jesus plus something equals nothing, Right? If you add to the gospel, it's to completely remove the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And this is a shaping foundational truth for the church then in the first century. And we pray for us as well. Amen? Amen. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. In Acts chapter 16, we continue to see the diversity of God's people being formed. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but remember, this is where we saw this incredible display. We got to walk through three different people, right? We pray that we would be an eclectic community of people here, not a cookie-cutter kind of homogenous group of people that all look and talk the same and come from the same backgrounds, though that would be easier, right? We don't always acknowledge that, right? Like, that'd be easier, right? Like, hey, do you guys want to go out to lunch after, after the, the service? Yeah, I'd love to. My family normally goes here. Well, man, we'd have to use a month's, you know, salary to go out to that place, you know? Like, that's uncomfortable. Like, hey, could we go here? Oh, I've never been to that place, you know? I don't give my kids, you know, hormone, whatever, you know, foods that, well, sorry, that's, that's a lot. That's what we can afford. You know, in these kinds of realities, it's, Aim, come on, we a little, that's a little uncomfortable, but that's real. And, and so that's what you see here on display is, is, is the, the good news of Jesus not keeping it easy, right? We can take comfort in knowing we're all going to be uncomfortable together. And that's what's happening here is we see that this wealthy, influential woman named Lydia and then this oppressed, not even just poor, straight up oppressed enslaved girl, and then this blue-collar government worker, a jailer. We get to see those stories back to back to back, that the diversity of who Jesus is calling to make up his people, the church. Okay, that word church is, 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 is the people of God coming together under the rule of God. Okay, so the church the ecclesia, the, the gathering of God's people includes wealthy, influential women, young, enslaved people, and like blue-collar government workers, a jailer who's not looking for Jesus at all. And yet he is calling and forming a people to call his own. And that's good news. And that's what we get to see. And again, that shapes us. It's not just information, right? This isn't just a history lesson. Look what happened back then. This is, God has given us his word to shape and inform who we are and how we function today. Amen? And in Acts chapter 19, as we continue here to pick up steam, the gospel encounters culture and confronts idolatry. Acts chapter 19, verses 19 through 
20. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 50,000 pieces of silver, that's a lot of money. And what we learn here is that, again, there is a cost to following Jesus. Okay, but as the gospel, again, the good news of Jesus is not just a theoretical kind of talking point. It's a life-transforming reality that he's calling us to surrender to him, to, to say, all I have and all I am is yours. Okay, that all of life is all for Jesus looks like this kind of cultural collision. And in some points, it means that the gospel encounters culture. And in some places, you celebrate things that need to be celebrated. And that even in some cases, as we saw, I won't get into it too much, but one guy does, takes a major sacrifice by trying to relate to the people that he is going to. And then so you're, okay, the gospel is encountering all kinds of different cultures. Again, the same is so true for us here today. We have so much to learn, and the gospel confronts idolatry. And sometimes that's really, really costly, okay? Idolatry is replacing God with anything, replacing the creator with anything that is created. And in this case, these people are making bank on using these magic books and all these things, and yet, and yet they sell it, they burn it. Be, because they can't just continue to pretend. They can't continue to, to line their own pockets with falsehood. The gospel encounters culture and confronts idolatry. And, and then remember, we saw the sons of Siva earlier in, in Acts chapter 19. And this was just a reminder because I was watching sports ye- yesterday when I had time kind of here and there. And I watched a soccer game. Some of you guys know that's a sport um, that most of the world really loves and prefers. And um, well, anyway, the U.S. was playing a huge game on Friday. And, 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 and I, I noticed when the guys were coming out, but I also watched baseball and other things. And um, they, I saw this multiple times. These, these people were doing this. They would, while they go out, they would like touch the grass. And then in soccer, especially, some of you guys have seen this kind of funny. They'll like do the cross and some do it like as many times as they can until they get out and on the field. And they're just like, and it's this whole idea of like, like, and it's treating God like a good luck charm, like a rabbit's foot. And that's not new today. It's, it's this, and again, we all do it in different ways. I'm not picking on anyone. Like this, these silly things that we think, oh, I'll put God in debt to me. If I do these things, he'll give me what I want if I just kind of give him a shout out. And that's what was going on here with these sons of Siva. And we reminded, no, remember, Jesus is not a good luck charm. He's a person. Jesus is not a good luck charm. He's a person. Amen? He, he, he died for you. He loves you. He rose from the dead. He's alive right now. He is ruling right now. He is leading us, his people, right now through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent, who is among us, in us, leading us right now. And so as God's work continues to be on display in and through his people in in chapter 20, remember, the, the, it gets more and more difficult. Remember Saul breathing threats against the church, an enemy of Jesus, called to faith in him, faithfully now proclaiming what he's seen and experienced? Nothing more, nothing less. This is what I know to be true. I've met Jesus. I have a relationship with him. Let me tell you about what that's looked like. Let me tell you about what he's done. Let me tell you about where I was before I met him and now what he's done in my life since. 
That, that's what it looks like. That's evangelism. That's good newsing. And, and that's what happens here. And then in, in chapter 20, he faces all kinds of opposition, and even his friends are trying to convince him, hey, Paul, tone it down a little bit. Like, don't be so fanatical, right? Don't be, don't like, don't live all of life all for Jesus. Like, there are some places where you need to just put that on the shelf. And look at what Paul says in verse 24. Remember, this is like his life verse, chapter 20, verse 24. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Saying, listen, everything I hold in my life, I hold open-handedly. I give myself away. That's the result of the gospel. Because Jesus has fully given of himself for you and for me. You and I now have nothing to, to, to cling to because we've already been given everything. We've been given life that, that cannot be taken away. So now we are free to give ourselves away. Our physical life, if need be, and more often than not, though, the reality is kind of metaphorically giving ourselves away very practically in everyday life. This quote from Paul Miller where he said, you don't find loving community right, which most of us most likely are looking for here today. You don't just find it, you create it by giving yourself away. Remember, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, is knowing that because you have nothing to lose, you can just give of yourself and trust that he has already fully and sufficiently provided. And that's a, that's a, that's a church-defining truth. That's what it means to be the people of God, is giving ourselves away for God's glory and the good of others. And so it continues on now in 20, Acts chapter 23 is, is remember God is true to his word, right? As we've heard all along, as we kind of prepare to land this plane, Jesus continues to affirm he's in control and he's made promises that he will see through all the way to the end. And in, in, um, in chapter 23, verse 11, this is Jesus himself again speaking to Paul. He says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, the facts, not made up stuff that we, not kind of a crutch, not whatever, the facts, the real life, real death, real resurrection of Jesus, which Paul has experienced and seen, remember, Jesus says, you're going to testify to these facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And Paul's like in jail. He just got to Jerusalem. He just got, he just got uh, ar arrested. He's on trial. All this difficulty. He's fearing for his life. And yet Jesus says, hey, I'm in control. And just as a reminder, you will bear testimony to these things in Rome, which is so far away from Jerusalem. And Paul has to just take him at his word. Trust that God is true to his promises. And so in chapter 24 and 25, Paul is getting, he's facing corruption and injustice like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ today, perhaps some of us in this room, facing injustice, facing corruption, wondering, what do I do in this case? What do I do? And Paul is facing that. These people are accusing him. They're lying about him. They're oppressing him, all these different things. And, and, and he stands there and simply and faithfully shares again the good news of Jesus. And remember that what we saw here is that because of the good news of Jesus, that injustice and corruption are fought with the powerful weapons of love and humility. 
Amen? That's like, how do we do, what do we do in, in the face of this injustice, in the face of this, it's not fair, right? We talked about that phrase is said a ton in my house, and some of us are, it just rolls off our tongues. It's not fair, and it's not. It's good to say, listen, sin is not the way it's supposed to be. We do need to call a spade a spade and say, this is injustice. This is corruption. And the good news of Jesus empowers his people to fight these evils with the weapons of love and humility. That's what Jesus has done, and that's what now he empowers his people to continue to do. And so in chapter 25 and 26, we see again, Paul is here and this just craziness, kind of a circus show is going on here. And what we get to see here is, the, again, what does the good news of Jesus look like? Okay, some of, if you're new here or some of us today are even wondering, even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, what does this really look like? God, what, I don't know, what does it look like in every day? And we got to see, we get to see this, this kind of contrast, if you will, of humility versus pride, Okay, and, and surrender versus intrigue. And first, this, this incredible hubris and pride in, in chapter 25, verse 23. Um, if you remember here, this, this, um, this king Agrippa shows up on the scene, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Love that word. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. This contrast, right? Again, think like Hunger Games, right? Think just silly, like peacocking, crazy hairdos, feathers, you know, trumpets blowing, all this stuff. And you see that, and then you see that contrasted with Paul, like shackled, kind of shuffling in. And this is a good display and illustration for us of that, remember, apart from Jesus, we have everything to prove and everybody to impress, right? There's, there's, this, there's this insecurity that goes, by, I've got to prove myself. I've got to show who I am. I've got to puff my chest up. I've got to, you know, roll in, whatever it is, right? Whoever we are, we all tend to do this in different ways to kind of, to kind of protect ourselves by displaying just who we are. Right? Whatever, that, whatever our identity and our purpose is shaped by. And then in contrast, you see that in Christ, there's nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Paul comes shuffling in and you see the power. He stands confidently, boldly, and yet humbly. Again, simply proclaiming, testifying to what he's seen, what he's experienced, the good news of Jesus. And that's in contrast to this silly circus show going on of these people trying to prove themselves. And you see humility versus pride. And then we also saw further down as Paul proclaimed this good news. Remember now um, chapter 26 down in verse 28 as Paul is sharing this good news. And now we see surrender versus intrigue. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Would you in this short time convince me to be a Christian? Agrippa, this king, he's intrigued. He's almost there. Jesus, he's, he's cool with Jesus. I, I'll sprinkle some Jesus on my life. I'll take a little, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, right? I'll, I have a a co-exist sticker. I'll include the cross on there. 
You know, I'll, I'll, yeah, Jesus is all right. I'll take some of what he said and, you know, he's a good example. And remember, the good news of Jesus doesn't give that option. As again, C.S. Lewis famously says, he's either a liar, he's Lord of all, or he's a lunatic. I actually got that order out of, not how C.S. Lewis gave it, but you get the big idea. He's either a liar, he's smart, he knows what he's doing, and he's just finagling and manipulating everyone, or he's a lunatic, he's crazy, and he actually thinks he's God the Son, and yet he's not, or he's true to his word. He really is Lord of all. You don't really have any option in between. And remember, we told this powerful illustration that uh, A.W. Tozer talked about a bridge that was built, and it was a powerful bridge, an incredible bridge, a beautiful bridge, but an incomplete bridge. And it's a true story of a family that tragically drove off the bridge because it had been presented as something that was sufficient, but it fell far short, almost still falls short. And you see there's a massive difference between full, total surrender to Jesus, faith in him, entrusting yourself to him, and simply being intrigued by him. And then again, last week, we kind of brought it all home with seeing again that God keeps his word. God's promises empowered Paul. Paul remained faithful, remained strong in the face of all kinds of opposition and uncertainty. He took God at his word. He remained faithful, not because he mustered up belief, but because, again, he met Jesus, crucified and yet risen victoriously from the dead. And when you truly meet and truly respond in faith to Jesus, it informs and changes everything. And so we read now these last verses in the entire book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verses 28 through 31. We see that Jesus was true to his word. Paul gets taken to Rome. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there, that's Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance." Paul was facing impending death when he was in Jerusalem. There were shipwrecks that we heard about last week. All kinds of different things happened. And yet, God is true to his word. He carried Paul all the way to Rome. And history tells us, we know to be true, that Paul would end up dying in Rome. He wrote some letters there from jail, but he would end up being beheaded for his unwavering faith in Jesus. And yet, as he said earlier in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I'm not worried about that. I've entrusted my life to Jesus. The good news of Jesus on display in and through God's people. The whole point of Acts has not been, oh, the miracles, the story, oh, let's, this history back then, the, the, the trials and the persecution and all these different things. The whole thing, the whole point has simply provided a context where we could see the works of God on display in and through his people by the person and work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. Then and today and tomorrow. And that's the book of Acts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you that you are true to your word. Thank you that you are the hero and the author of the story. 
Thank you that as we've just walked through this, we've been reminded of, of, of the threads and the themes of you working and the ups and downs in everyday life and the uncertainties of what we will face and not knowing what's coming and in, and in times of great rejoicing and times of weeping and perhaps even the more difficult times somewhere in between. It's the seemingly mundane realities of everyday life. You are good. You are at work. You are ruling. Your gospel, your good news informs us, shapes us, leads us as your people. So Lord, now as we respond, I pray that we will continue to proclaim victoriously the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.